The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining the show today, everybody, and tuning in. I'm Diane Ray. Welcome. (laughs) We're going to have an interesting conversation here today. Today, we're going to enter the magical world of shamanism, where the impossible seems possible. And I'm going to talk about alternate realities and infinite possibilities, just bringing some magic into our lives. And who couldn't use that in this day and age? Sure, I could use a little magic. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm very happy to welcome my guest today, Jonathan Hammond. He is the author of The Shaman's Mind, Huna Wisdom to Change Your Life. And he's an energy healer, a shamanic practitioner, and spiritual counselor. He teaches all around the world at places like the Omega Institute and other venues. And this is kind of an interesting tidbit. Before entering the world of shamanism, he had a career as an award-winning actor appearing on Broadway and television. And he also holds certifications as a master teacher in shamanic Reiki, Cherokee body work, and I hope I say this right, Hohonoponopono. And we will talk about that modality today, among other things. So, Jonathan, I'm so happy you could join me today. Welcome to the show. Aloha. It's really great to be here. Thank you for having me, Diane. Aloha. So did I say that right? It's ho'oponopono. Pretty close. No one says it right. Ho'oponopono is how to say it. (laughs) No one says it right. Nobody says it right the first time. It's tough. It's tough. So I'm just curious, where would I have seen you as an actor in your past life? Oh, well, it, it, I was mainly a stage actor. I did so. I, I did uh, uh, the Broadway revival of Ragtime, uh, uh, worked at Lincoln Center in a, a show called Light in the Piazza. Uh, you can you can find me on a couple law and orders. I, I had. Uh, uh, yeah, I had a, a previous life. And um, uh, so, the, the, but those are those are some of the main places where you would have seen me. But most of it was live. So if if you um, uh, if you were a theater goer, that that's probably how you would have mainly seen me. Oh, that's so interesting. No, I'm a yeah. Law and Order fan. So there you <laughs> that's go. That's a great. That's a great show. And I'm sure that that training came in handy in the work that you're doing now. You know, in, in speaking and things like that. Well, it it really did. In fact, you know, at the at when I was uh, a child, uh, you know, I was what I, you know, what do you do when you act? When you act, you learn the lines, you learn the blocking, and then you hope for inspiration to come through. And uh, so it's it kind of a form of channeling. And so uh, I'm basically now in the work that I do now, I'm doing the same thing. I, I, you know, I have my wisdom or whatever I've, I've studied and, and, and the structures of certain practices in place. And then it's allowing the inspiration to come through in order to affect people. So it's, uh, it's actually not that much uh, different. It was, um, you know, when I was an actor, there was just a sense that I I needed to spend myself in a different way, and and that I didn't have the reach uh, that I wanted to have. That uh, and and I wanted I wanted to effect change in in through artistry, and I was only able to do that to a certain extent because so much about about show business is just about entertainment, not so much about affecting lives and affecting change. So. It was a very uh, counterintuitive choice to move into the work that I'm doing, 
and uh, you know, I just encourage everyone if if you're feeling uh, a counterintuitive pull that is something that your family or your community uh, or uh, uh, you wouldn't un- exactly understand, follow that because uh, it, it could be that the that the soul's journey is is held in in those kind of uh, off the beaten track decisions. Right. And you, well, I've been spending some time with your book, The Shaman's Mind, and you go into a little bit of your own personal story of coming from that world. And you know, you're not alone. I mean, I know a couple of other teachers that are working that have a theatrical background. Um, One that I had worked with who, you know, had a record deal and was so convinced that her path was to be a singer and recording artist and all of that. And then you know, she had to do what you did, you know, these other people to mm-hmm. follow their heart and and make that pivot. And you share that story a little bit in the book. I, I really enjoyed it. The Shaman's Mind, Huna Wisdom to Change Your Life, because I had heard, heard about Huna a little bit, but I really wasn't familiar. And, you know, when you think of the word shaman, at least I do, I think of the Native American medicine man. And, you know, you have that visual and really, when you talk about shamanism from where you're coming from, Huna originated in the heart of Polynesia and is the foundation of the shamanic traditions of Hawaii. So I was just curious how you you entered that world and now are a teacher of Huna and felt really drawn to that particular modality. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was a shamanic practitioner for many years before I found Huna. And what, what Huna helped me do uh, Huna is a philosophy, and you don't really talk uh, uh, in working with shamanism. A lot of times, you're not dealing with shamanic manifestos and lists of commandments. There's very little to go on. It, it's an oral tradition that's been passed down. But uh, but the Huna philosophy provides us with uh, ways in which to in uh, rules or principles that we can follow. That if we do and if we integrate them into our lives and into our understanding, we enter into the way the shamans think, the way the way shamans see the world. And uh, so when I found this philosophy, it was like it was like this huge light bulb went off because it was I, I was in some way pra- practicing this just by being a shamanic practitioner. But I actually found a way to language what it was that I was doing, uh, how I was seeing things, how I was helping facilitate facilitate healing in others, my connection to nature. And all of that is is very much connected in the Huna principles. Uh, so when it came to me, it was like it was like everything that I thought I knew came together in this very elegant, uh, with this very very elegant philosophy, um, and uh, that that is so practical and so easy to work with. And it's and when we go through the philosophy, you'll 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 it'll sound familiar. It's all things that we've heard before, but the, the fact that these I that these uh, these ancient and universal spiritual truths are found in an indigenous um, uh, culture um, speaks to not only their potency, but how old they are, how long they've been, how long these spiritual truths have been in existence, how long they've been used. It is. It's interesting. I really think that, you know, when you look back at some of these ancient cultures and, and their teachings, it just kind of blows your mind. Wow. How did they, how did they know this? You know, like when you think of um, some things in Eastern religions, like the observer and the reserve uh, observed, you mm-hmm. know, which, which really is kind of a lot of the basis of quantum theory and stuff like that. You're like, wow, you know, how how did these people figure this stuff out? But they did, you know, and you delve into this. And I also think it's interesting that you 
are a guy from Michigan, right? Like you describe in the book, right. how you were just really drawn to this, um, this teaching, you know, that from the Hawaiian culture, I mean, um, had you ever really been interested before? Or? No, I mean, I, I had, uh, I had gone to Hawaii and I had these really formative experiences there. Uh, and I think we, we all are open to formative experiences whenever we go into nature. If we, if we allow ourselves to, to think of things animistically, meaning that everything is alive and responsive and can respond to our thoughts, everything, trees, uh, water, air. Um, and, and if we can enter into that framework, um, we can come to so many of the truths that, that, uh, and so much, so much of the wisdom that the shamans came to, because what they were doing is that they were emulating nature. Shamanism is about the reverence of nature. And the reason why we would revere anything, why anyone re would revere anything is because, na because nature has something to teach us. It shows us interconnectivity. It shows us uh, that its force is always moving towards growth and creation. It shows us deep, uh, deep cooperation and holism. And we're not separate from that. That same life force that grows the forest actually grows through us too. And so to emulate nature and to see nature as not separate from us is to harness its unbelievable wisdom. And uh, and that's that's the foundation of the shamanic path. And as I mentioned, the Huna principles just help you do that better and help you understand it um, uh, in terms of our Western psychological uh, thinking. And Huna says that everything that happens to you is an effect of your thoughts and our fingerprints are on everything that we experience. And I, you know, I have heard this in told in, in other forms, you know, in other teachings mm -hmm. about how our thoughts, you know, affect our reality. And it just, and it makes you wonder that, you know, how is it possible to monitor ourselves or monitor every thought so that it's not detri detrimental, I guess. Yeah. Isn't, I mean, isn't that well, tough? That, yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the discipline and that's the practice because, uh, uh, according to Huna, everything that happens to you is an effect of what's going on inside you. So the first principle of, of Huna says the world is what you think it is. So what that means is not just that your experience of the world will, will be determined by how you think of it, but that the world itself, reality itself will shift and change based on how you think about it. So that means that we are in a co-creative relationship with reality itself based on what's going on between our ears. So if that's true, then tending to what's going on between our ears and paying attention to what we're paying attention to becomes something that is a huge priority because whatever it is that you're creating in your mind, you are creating in the world. And that's, that's the uh, reality that you're manifesting. So it's so important that, that we really watch and pay attention uh, to what it is that we're, uh, what it is that we're thinking, what it is that we're believing. But it is a practice, right? I mean, this is something that you've been doing for a lot of years and we just have to, uh, I guess, get into, you know, with training, get into that practice of being able to watch and kind of monitor where our thoughts are going. Yeah. And it, it's easier than you think because, uh, um, you know, we're, we're wired to get on our path. We are biologically wired to do the right thing for ourselves. So if you take an action that's beneficial and growthful for you, you'll feel the accompanying emotions that go along with that action. Or if you take an action that, that is antithetical to your best interest, you'll feel the feelings of agitation or, or, or fear. And so we're wired to actually know 
what direction is right for us and based on that what it is that we should we should be thinking about um, thinking about feeling and what we are creating in our minds and so um, so it's it's really as simple as you you um, are going toward the things that you want and you're avoiding that which you are which you don't want well, it's interesting in the book, you say that we're hardwired to resist change, even positive change. And I've noticed that in people. So I, yeah. think, I think that's so interesting how we say that we want to, you know, think good thoughts and we want to go in the right direction. And then we're, we're constantly kind of pulled off this path. That's right. Healing and resistance, they are two sides of the same coin. They, they, they exist together always. And it's because healing requires us to change. And we all have programming. We all have uh, that that's older than, than the thing that we want to change, that's been around longer, that's been given clout and legitimacy because because uh, we've succumbed to it so many times. And so, uh, so there's always resistance to change. You even see it in the world right now, despite the fact that you know, with this uh, COVID-19 and uh, Black Lives Matter. And there, there is a sense of this great beneficial change that's happening, difficult as it is, there is a sense that, that we're going somewhere that's better than where we've been. And with that, you also see the huge resistance that people are having to that change. And so you, you, you can see it particularly at this time that even as, as the world itself is healing, as society is healing, there is such deep resistance to that healing and even a sense of I'm going to entrench in my old ways. And so that is what each of us are up against. So it, it's um, it's it's easy to think uh, that you can change your thoughts, but that but ease does not necessarily mean uh, simplicity does not necessarily mean ease because because to change your thoughts is uh, is to do so with real dedication and discipline. Right. And it also makes me think of if you know, we are in fact creating our realities, then collectively, how how did we get where we are right now? I mean, was this a kind of a an event that is supposed to happen to bring greater healing? You know, the just, just the collective uh, feeling of everything that's going on, like you had mentioned with COVID, with the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, we we have created this in some way, right? That's absolutely true. And, and um, you know, if you think of reality as just a blank canvas onto which you project your inner experience, th that means that each of us individually contribute to that reality. And the problem is in uh, what's been going on in contemporary uh, culture is what we projected onto that canvas of reality is separation, is uh, profits over people is dominion over the earth is uh, uh, walking on the earth without humility um, is uh, uh, hatred uh, and uh, racism and so onto that reality so much negativity has been projected that that reality has become literally now sick and uh, but in the same way that we that we projected that ne ne those negative things on that vast canvas of reality we can each individually. Uh, change that simply by cultivating a consciousness that uh, is the opposite of those things. And that's actually where we're headed. So the second principle of, uh, of Huna says that the, there are no limits, which means that this is a limitless universe, that separation is merely an illusion, which means that we are each 
an individual aperture through which reality, the great oneness, experiences itself. So we're not separate from it. Another way to think of it is that we're individual waves on an ocean, but we can't separate ourselves from the ocean. So whatever we're doing to heal ourselves, to make ourselves better, to to tend to our, our thoughts, to dwell on the positive polarity as opposed to the negative polarity is to affect change on the collective, on the one, because we are not separate from that. Right. And I do believe that. I do believe that we are all, um, you know, interconnected and what, what affects one affects others. And you brought up a really interesting point in the book in that by the, the state of the world of alternative facts that we're in and beliefs that people have and what they're being told to believe over and over, especially over the, the past few years, um, I, I just wonder how that is going to be pushing us forward collectively when there's there's so many of us that are fearful and, and are believing things that are not true. That are sure. out, outright lies. Sure. Well, the, you know, the thing about the thing about alternative facts is that is that it's very ingenious what they did, because because the world is what you think it is. If you can get a bunch of people to believe something, then that actually becomes their world. That actually becomes a reality. You know, we're always swimming in in different realities and frequencies based on how we think. And the people who believe in those alternative facts, that is actually their reality. So even though that's that's a difficult thing uh, for us to and a conundrum for all of us to to deal with, it also implies that we actually have choice in which reality we want to abide in, in which reality we want to create for for ourselves. And so um, and so it's important to remember that we are we we all have a birthright of choice. You know, in Huna, we consider choice to be a, a magical talent uh, that because it, in choice we can we can decide what we want our life to be, how we how we want to fit into what our world is, and if enough people are creating a world that is interconnected, that is loving, that is uh, um, uh, aware that we are all equal, that we are all uh, that we are we are actually not separate, then that that's the world that we'll, we'll create. We won't get everyone, but we just need enough. We just need more. We just need a majority. Right. I mean, and I'm hoping that there is a majority <laughs> out there, you know, that <laughs> that believes you know, that believes in that, because I just see people that are choosing to, you know, believe in, in conspiracy theories and, you know, craziness and choose to go on the side of of fear and, and hatred of others when all of that is is collectively affecting mankind, affecting all of us. So and, and, yeah, when you I start, think, I, that. I think that's yes, and that's the resistance that we're talking about. That's that's mm -hmm. um, uh, because what's being presented is so clearly about uh, about an ascension of consciousness. That's that's where we're going, and that's going to the Earth is going to win. The Earth is going to win, but uh, Trump or, or political whatever aside, the Earth is going to win. And what the Earth wants, the Earth has an intention. The Earth is our mother. The Earth loves us, and the Earth wants to keep going. And she wants people on her who want to keep going with her. And uh, and so if if we if we allow ourselves to just feel the yearning toward more life, toward more sharing, towards more connection, we are in alignment with the flow of the earth, with the earth's intentions for us. And um, and so, yes, there are there are people who are absolutely uh, convinced that 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 something that beautiful isn't available to them. And so they choose other things. But 
It really is. And it's what's happening. And it's what the earth wants for us. Right. It's just interesting when you talk about in the book, the power of belief mm-hmm. and, and how that can be people's reality. You know, it really, it really is, is strong, you know, what you believe in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just interesting how you shift that. And I like also the, the fact in the book that it's very experiential, you know, and you give us exercises to look at some of these things, you know, and I walk through a couple of them, <laughs> mm-hmm. some of the exercises, some I'd like to actually go back and like dig into sure. a little bit more. Um, and one of them, like we were talking about, there's no limits, you know, no real boundaries. Mm-hmm. And in, in this exercise, you know, you asked us to write down 75 things that we really want. And I was thinking of that, like believing that I could really have some of these things. Some were big, some were dumb or, or insignificant or, oh, I want an amethyst pendant, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get to the 75 and I really couldn't think of 75 things mm-hmm. that I really wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I got to about 36 so I, yeah. I, I thought that well, was interesting. That I couldn't yeah, even and here's what, here's what I'm really getting at with that exercise. Not only that everything that you want is actually available to you. And so the first step is to actually want it. That's the first thing. And also you know, there was a, um, there was a man named William Bensington and he wrote a book called uh, Hands-On Healing. And what he did was he had people write down 75 or 100 things that they want. And then he he wanted you to provide a visual with each one so that as you began to concentrate on the 75 things you want, you actually had images of each of those 75 things. And then what he would do is he would just have people um, put their hands on cages of mice that were that had cancer. And they would just think and visualize the 75 things that they want and experiment after experiment after experiment. And he did so many of them. Uh, uh, What happened was that the the mice actually healed just by people feeling into and sending the energy towards what it is that they want, because what it is that you want is creative. It's your life force. It's it's actually it's your spark of divinity. Those 75 things you want aren't just frivolous things. They are they are you. Um, as a divine being saying, these are, these are the things that I want to bring forth in my life. These, these represent the love that's inside me. And so just by, by focusing on them, you are in the current of love. You are in the current of creation. You are in the current of manifestation. So that's really what I'm getting at with that exercise. Right. And even though some of those things may come to, may come to pass and, you know, enter reality and, be, and become reality, uh, everything is not, not going to work. And, and you do even offer a solution for that to redirect, you know, if, right. if there's something that you're pushing, pushing for, and then you may think you really want it. And then it turns out that that's not the case. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, you know, a wise spiritual teacher once told me if the door closes, you take the hint. And um, and what that's really what that's really saying is that we can want what we want. But if it's not happening, I mean, it's a couple things. It could be that the timing's off. It could be that you need to try a new process. Um, it could be that you have to reexamine why you want that thing. Or it could be that 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 actually isn't part of your your soul's evolution, your soul's growth. And and that in the not getting it is the opportunity to go deeper into yourself to find out what might be even more true for you. And so uh, in this way, we're always creatively engaged with what's happening and what's not happening. That's called living a spiritual life, being creatively engaged 
with that process and knowing that if, if the door is closing, there is a capital R reason why that door is closing and adjust accordingly because it's closing for you as well. Right. So kind of bringing to the to light the saying of everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. which I sometimes have a problem with that, you know, but when you think of it in the context of how you're explaining it, you know, it makes sense. Although I do think sometimes things can happen that there may not be a reason or yeah, I, maybe you know, I'm I mean, not supposed to know. Of course. You know, I mean, Huna, Huna does say that you have a, you have some degree of complicity with everything that happens to you, but that does not necessarily mean that you've done anything on purpose because our thoughts are not just our conscious thoughts. Our thoughts are unconscious beliefs, uh, our unconscious patterns that we're not even aware of. Those two are our thoughts and they are creating reality as well. That's why it's so important to look at uh, those things that are just on autopilot that that you might believe that you 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 aren't even aware of, and then sometimes yes we do have to defer to karma to the lessons of the soul we might have to defer to just the great mystery because sometimes we just don't know why things happen, but in general the more that you can tune into that you have uh, create a create you you have creative. A force within you to create your life, the more power and choice is available to you. So it, it's a good thing to it's a good thing to think about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't other forces at work. Because again, there are no limits, which means that we're influenced by by other things that aren't that don't just have to do with us. Right, right. Being open to the mystery, I, I think that's that's so interesting because sometimes people hold on to you know so tightly to that well, there's supposed to be a reason and I have to figure this out. And I think sometimes we're not, we're not supposed to see that right away. That's right. That's right. Uh, But in general, I find particularly as a shamanic practitioner, you know, when, when, uh, the, the kind of esoteric translation of the word shaman is one who sees in the dark, one who sees what isn't there. And so often when I'm, when I'm working with clients and they present a difficulty, they present an illness, they present uh, a life situation that's breaking up or, or values long held that they're reexamining, difficult problems that I always can tune into that underneath those, the hidden reality of those problems are the, the seeds of a new awakening, of a new way of being, always. And so it's so important to, to know that that even though the, the reason may not appear on the surface, there is something always underneath the surface that serves us. There's a, there's a phrase in Hawaiian called uh, anawai, and anawai means eat the seed, meaning that we have a, a, a seed of uh, uh, everything that happens to us, we're to swallow whole so that we can grow right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back talking more with Jonathan Hammond and the Shaman's Mind. I'm Diane Ray. Stay close. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present. The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for coming back after the break. I'm Diane Ray, and I'm talking with Jonathan Hammond today, the author of The Shaman's Mind, Who Know Wisdom to Change Your World. We really do have the power to be magical, to be magical beings, and to bring things forth that that we really want, and also to benefit mankind as a whole, as a collective, because we're all in this together. 
We are live. So if you did want to join us, if you had a question for Jonathan, you can give me a call 816-251-3555 if you wanted to join in the conversation. So Jonathan, to kind of jump back into it, just so many fascinating things in the book and just Huna as a whole, you know, I just found so interesting. And I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about magic, you know, and Huna says that magic is our birthright, you know, and some people might think that, oh, you know, magic is like pulling the rabbit out of the hat kind of thing. But I think that we, we could all, you know, if we thought about it, there's gotta be times when you've experienced something magical, that feeling of deja vu, knowing someone was going to call when they did, or something was going to happen when it was going to happen, or, you know, those feelings that you talked about of what we really know to be our true path that a lot of times that we don't listen to, we follow our parents or society's rules or structure of what we should do. Those, we, we all can agree that we have experienced some kind of magic, right? And and as a shaman, you're able to help us bring that forward, right? So that magic really exists. It's not just fantasy. Yeah, magic is conscious manifestation. And we are all, we all have bodies and minds that are the only tools that we need, body, m- minds and imaginations. That's a very important piece um, uh, that, that can bring about what it is that we, uh, what it is that we want. And so when we talk about magic, it's, it's that we, we have more available to us and we're more skilled than we allow ourselves to, um, to be, uh, I would even go so far as to say that, that as, um, you know, we, because we are disconnected, we are not, uh, disconnected from nature, nature itself, that force of energy and creation surges through us and it surges through us through our feelings and emotions. So we can actually feel, we can actually feel that. And when you think about nature, it, it in, in and of itself is this, uh, this unbelievable thing that we, that we behold when we go into nature and uh, how, how it all works and how it all fits together is, is to engage the imagination because it, that's, that's why I'm so taken with Hawaii because to even go to Hawaii is to ignite the powers of the imagination because you have to use your imagination to even believe what it is that you're seeing and where you are. It's just that beautiful and that powerful. Uh, and so that is, that is within us. And using uh, the tools of our minds, our bodies, our intentions, our actions, harnessing energy with what we focus on, these are all ways in which we can consciously create, consciously manifest whatever it is that we want. Well, Hawaii is pretty magical. I will have to agree with that. It's pretty amazing. And you described some incredible things that happened to you when you were there that were kind of otherworldly and and really if it's going to happen i think it would happen there it, it is it is pretty it is pretty beautiful and, and amazing Maui. um n- not as many times as, as i'd like you know definitely i need need to get back but when you're around those beautiful waterfalls and just the green of everything and, and the mountains and the beach um it, it you really do think that it that it's magic that thing anything could be possible so it, it is a pretty it is a pretty amazing place. So I wanted to ask you too another uh, interesting statement that you made in the book that was kind of contrary to some other things that I've read. You know, you say that our primary obligation this lifetime must be to ourselves, and many other teachers might say, "Well, you need to be in service. You need to be in service to others." But mm. the but the way you explain it, one kind of 
uh, feeds the other, right? So we that, really do have to take care of ourselves first. That's right. That's right. It's when I say um, uh, our primary obligation is to be with ourselves. It's so that we're well enough to show up for the other. See the problem. We are we are supposed to give from abundance. The altruistic impulse that all of us feel is most appropriately followed when we're so full that we can't help but. And and so and 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 that it's coming from there. It's coming from that place. So in focusing on yourself, in loving yourself, what you're doing is you're making yourself well enough and strong enough that you don't have to do you anymore. And it can be about the other. And whenever healing occurs, whenever we're we're touched by the divine, whenever uh, um, we, we we want something and it comes into being and we feel that gratitude, the in the. Uh, inevitable human response is to want to pay that forward always. So it's about we tend to ourselves so that we can give. And that's that's what the shamans mean by being in right relationship with the earth. We receive from the earth, we give back to replenisher. We receive from the earth, we give back to replenisher. And so it is about getting our needs met so that they're so met that we can't help but. Right. And, and you, I think you see that sometimes where I don't know why it has to be this way, but usually when a major event happens, an, an earthquake, you know, or 9-11 or something like that, mm-hmm. you're right. It really, it, it really is our nature when everything else is stripped away, we're going to help that other person regardless of, of their color or nationality or whatever. I mean, I think no matter what I felt about someone, if they're, if they're drowning, I'm going to stick my hand out. That's right. In, that's right. In that way, we, we really are. We're God beings. We are miraculous beings who left to our own devices will we'll come to love. If, if, if we just let ourselves alone, that's what we'll do. And so when I say focus on yourself, it's only so you can do that better. So you can do what you would naturally do better and have more reach. It's so beautiful, the Huna philosophy, when you start reading about it, because it 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 really is so simple, but but yet so powerful. And also, what I thought was fascinating as I was reading it was, Huna brings forth the concept of three selves way before Sigmund Freud came up with the id, the ego, and the superego. And I thought, wow, this that's kind of the same thing, right? Huna addresses that those parts of ourselves. That was the thing that really hooked me in more than anything else was that the, the Hawaiians were on to the nature of the unconscious mind. The fact that we, we have the, the conscious mind, which is the part that's listening to the show and understanding what I'm saying. And then the unconscious body mind, which is the part of us that holds our programming holds, it, it beats our heart, it creates all the physical processes of the body, but also holds all our wounding, all the mistakes that we might have about ourselves or about life, how, how we think. And then we have this, this higher self. Uh, which wants us to it wants to inspire us to us and get us to aspire to being even more well to to fulfilling our life's purpose and the alignment of those three selves getting the conscious mind and the unconscious mind in accordance with each other so if the conscious mind wants to create something is addressing whatever in the unconscious mind says you can't have that you're not good enough you're uh you're you're, you're not smart enough whatever those whatever those those uh incongruencies are to address those so that we can align with what our higher self uh, has in store for us if we can get out of our own way and align those three things together so ahuna is about aligning body mind and spirit into uh, one unity 
and and from there from there uh, we enter into actually the truth of ourselves, which is that we are divine beings having a human experience. Right. I love I love that saying, divine beings having a human experience. I f- I forget the actual quote. I think it was uh, a French priest or something. Pierre uh, de Chardin. Mm-hmm. We're, we're spirit. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. That's it. Yeah, yeah. There's a, <laughs> a, a Trappist monk, uh, Thomas Merton. He said, "If we all could see ourselves as we truly are, we would all fall down and worship each other." Right. Oh, his his stuff is so amazing, yeah. and just you know, kind of uh, can just digging in a little bit of how these people were able to figure out these these esoteric concepts. You know, also like in Eastern philosophies where you'll hear about the subtle body, um, mm-hmm. you know, just what you're talking about here in Huna. And also I noticed in the Huna philosophy, it's called the practice of Lono or connecting with our inner child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems so powerful. I mean, when you work with people on that concept, I mean, you must really see some amazing healing take place. It's the most important thing. You know, we, we all, uh, you know, they're called formative years for a reason, which means that we're forming a sense of self. And by about 12, it's kind of done. And uh, and children take everything personally, whatever happens to them, they, t- they take it personally and they make it about them and they form a sense of self around that. So if there's uh, neglect, uh, abuse, indifference, or even just the way in which a child constricts against the pain of the world and the pain of fitting in. On some level, they will make that about them and and create a mistaken identity, obscure their own perfection and divinity through these mistakes. And so to go back and actually say to this child, and, and the, the uh, practice Ho'oponopono is specifically for this purpose, to go back to that child and say, I'm so sorry that you feel that way about yourself, but we're not doing that anymore. And that wasn't true then, and it's not true true now. And so we need to let go these mistakes that you have about yourself, these uh, these hindrances that you have about who you think you are, because they're in the way of of us moving forward. And so to go back and, and actually attend to the child within who's still holding the imprint of of those uh, those entrenched patterns, uh, and to have the child release them is to release that which uh, holds us back from our own divinity and uh, and manifesting the lives that we want. And it's so powerful the stuff that we hold on to that we're not even really conscious of or aware of. I remember talking to my father, you know, be- before he passed about an incident that he had remembered, I think from the second grade, he was a little boy, just something that he had held onto all these years that, that seems so inconsequential, just an interaction that he had, but I guess it was something really hurtful to him that he had held, held onto all these years. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what, what else could he be hanging on to? So it, it's so fascinating when you start peeling away those layers. Yeah. And, you know, I I remember working with a a 70 year old woman and we traced something back to a look, a look from her father at a moment of her own uh, non self where she was just being so unselfconscious. And the father's look was one of you're weird and I don't understand you. And that became a, a sense of self for her that that and and as we worked on it, it was just her seeing something in his eyes that she didn't understand and that was that was rejecting of her. And on some level, she held on to that sense of self 
as a way to reject herself until it was looked at. And so these things go on and on and on until we until we address them. And and that's the purpose. That's the purpose of um, of, of healing is to ad- address these things because they're all they're all mistakes. They're all just a lot of times they're even innocent mistakes, but they're things that that happen to us and and we form a sense of self around them. And because the world is what you think it is, that sense of self thinks the way it does about itself and so therefore creates that limited reality. Right. And so much pain that it causes is just so sad. Like the woman you were just describing in her 70s, and I felt that way about my father. I'm like, why did you hold on to this, you know, for for all these years that would cause you so much pain? And and like you say in the book, really to to do this work where the universe wants us to be happy. You know, like like you're saying in the book, we, so we have more time to party, right? We're we're supposed to be <laughs> happy beings, right? I mean, that isn't that's that's the goal, not to be miserable and depressed. Uh, you know, uh, yes, uh, you know, the universe, God, uh, spiritual intelligences, whatever you want to call it, even the earth, you know, all these things, they just want to love us. They just, they really do. And I'm not being Pollyanna and I'm not being uh, overly positive. That really is the truth. And what, and what my book is about, what Huna is about, what any sort of uh, legitimate healing modality is about is creating a vessel down here in our bodies, in our minds that puts us in alignment in, into sympathetic vibration with the divine that only wants to love us. So when you hear those memes on or you see those memes on Facebook that say, did you remember to love yourself today? That is actually not something cute. That is a deep spiritual truth that if you would actually do it, puts you into sympathetic vibration with the love of the divine. And then that divine love can reach you because you're in you're in accordance with it. Right. And that love is available to all of us, no, no matter what. We just no. have to be we have to open to it. That's right. No matter what. And I wanted to talk a little bit while we had a, a few minutes left, just to get in a little bit to the uh, Ho'oponopono practice. And and tell me again how to say it, because <laughs> like, I feel ridiculous. Yes. Ho'oponopono. 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 Yeah, so, yeah, so ho'o is causative. So ho'o means kind of like to make. And pono means rightness or true condition of nature. But in this case, pono is doubled, ponopono. So it means to make right and but to make right more right to make right doubly right to become right with oneself and therefore become right with god so that's the process of ho'oponopono and that's what that word means well what i thought was was interesting as i was reading more about it in the book you know i had heard about the practice before and always heard well it's about forgiveness like Mm -hmm. okay well it's not really about I forgive you, you know, having your apology accepted or accepting an apology. It, mm-hmm. It's not really about that, right? It's it's about what we were just kind of discussing, removing a negative memory pattern. That's right. It's about it's about forgiving life, forgiving a parent, uh, forgiving a, a bully at school, forgiving that um, whatever their hold is on us, however they treated us, they have a hold on on us. And we're forgiving, we're offering forgiveness to that part of us so that it can let it go. 
So there were there are four phrases that we use in in Ho'oponopono. I love you, which just means that I'm I'm aware of the uh, I'm aware of this problem and and I'm bringing love to this problem. A problem is born of unlove. So you bring I love you to it. You say I'm sorry to it, and I'm sorry is a way of saying I see this problem exactly as it is. I see the low self esteem. I see the self hatred. And then you say, please forgive me. And what you're asking is you're asking forgiveness for this thing as if to say, I, I have let you go. I have not tended to you. Please forgive me for that. Please forgive me for all the ways in which I made you feel like it was appropriate for you to hate yourself or whatever. Uh, so you ask forgiveness for that. And then you say, thank you. And what you're saying is you're offering this problem. You're saying to this problem, thank you for going along with this new way of being, this new way of being where you no longer have to feel that way about yourself. So it's, it's to make right more right, to make, make right with ourselves. And in doing so, we make right with God and we use love as the primary tool. And you can do this process to yourself or, you know, just solo or working with, with others, which I thought was really fascinating. And you, you share the exercise in the book, how to, how to really get into that space on your own. I mean, have, and you've done this, right? I mean, of you've course. done it by yourself, you know, you of must course. have for teaching of it. Of course, of course. <laughs> and, you know, and I facilitated, facilitated it in many, in, in many people as well. The other thing to say about it is because the world is what you think it is, the world is an a, a external reflection of what goes on inside us. That means that even the things in the world that we don't like, even uh, uh, dictator presidents, whatever it is, those things are in some way part of us. And so when we see those things in the world that we don't like, we also do ho'oponopono with ourselves, because on some level that it's a limitless universe, which means that whatever we work on on ourselves heals the collective. And it's also saying that that on some level I hold that that uh, uh, that oppression in me. And so it's something you so Ho'oponopono is not just a practice that you do. It's a way of life that you are essentially always walking on the earth with love, in forgiveness, in humility, in gratitude so that you can project that onto the world. Right. And remembering that, you know, everybody coming in contact with you, you in contact with them is just going to have that ripple effect. Right. So the more whole that you are, the, you know, the more forgiving a person and that kind of thing, you know, working, working through whatever each unconscious thing that, because we are, we're all carrying stuff, right. Mm -hmm. It is just going to be able to enable that, that ripple to travel further, the more we're able to do this work on ourselves. That's right. That's right. That's why, again, getting back to the primary obligation is with yourself, and that the primary obligation of our lifetime is with ourselves, And that's so that we can serve the world because we are not separate. Our self is not separate from the big self. And so when we work on ourselves, it's an altruistic act for all beings. My Hawaiian teacher, Serge King, he says, if you want to heal someone, think of them and you feel good. Right. Think of them, even if it's someone that you're having difficulty, though, There, there's the... <laughs> There's the problem. That's right. And, you know, when worse comes to worse, when you really can't when you really can't bless the other person, a, a, a great idea is just to remember that every time they exhale, they're feeding the plants. At the very least, you can at least send them that blessing and be grateful to them for that. <laughs> no, that. Oh, that's a good one. I have to remember that. So at least they're they're serving some kind of, you know, positive purpose 
in, in feeding the plants. So that's good. But this, this process seems so powerful. I mean, could you, you know, share a, a, a quick story of, of using this in the, the Ho'oponopono practice? Uh, yeah, uh, I had a, a woman who had, uh, who, uh, this is a, kind of an extreme case, but she'd been incested by a father and, um, we, uh, and uncovered it and began working on it in her, in her early forties. And, um, and we, we did this process together and she was able to see that she, all of her, she had sexual shame. She had a lot of fear just around even fear of her very loving boyfriend. She would, she would kind of have panic attacks when the key would go in the door, even though she knew it was him. And so in doing Ho'oponopono, what, what we did is we went back to her child uh, and we ex- we really explained to that child that this is what that what's happening to her is a mistake that this is not supposed to be happening that it's not fair and that and that essentially she was there now for the child and that she was going to take care of the child and that she would never allow something like that to happen to her again and uh, and so that was the process and in reclaiming that and in reclaiming reclaiming that child uh, she actually went on to uh, to folks, uh, she was a, a, a photographer, a professional photographer, and she developed a business where she did these high-level nudes. So if you want to, if you want to spend a whole bunch of money and have a beautiful nude done of yourself with an art director and a makeup person, all of that, that's who you would go to. And it was like she took this child who was riddled with all of this sexual shame, loved her, and then used that as a way for her to express herself to continue to heal herself. Wow, that that's incredible. And thanks for sharing that story because I as I was reading about it, I was particularly interested in how that process would work, you know, with you know incest or, or sexual abuse or the trauma of that. It, it's you know, hard with rape. trauma. Yes, it's hard with trauma because because you know it, with with trauma work, you know, you kind of want to work around it. You know, you get you get you know, it's not just about like necessarily going straight in straight in all the time. Because that can flood the person if it's really if it's re- a really traumatic event, but um, if you can just entertain the idea that whatever whatever had had occurred that that led to the trauma, uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. That 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 was uh, and that you're not to hold on to that as part of your identity. That's just what happened, and it does, it's not to minimize it. It's to disidentify from it. And it's the disidentification with the bad things that happened to us that happened to me, but it's not me. And, and that is the, that is the process of healing. And that's how you separate. That's how you remove that, the intrusion of that, um, of, of that abuse or, or that neglect or whatever it was. And you remove yourself some, from it because you would d- disidentify from it. Right. Thanks for explaining that because I think sometimes people, when they think of a forgiveness process or something that you're giving the abuser a pass or forcing yourself to say, oh, well, I forgive you when, you know, there's no way you would feel that to someone who's perpetrated that kind of abuse or trauma on you, but you're, you're comforting or, you know, forgiving the child for what happened. You're forgiving. Yes. Yes. You're asking the child for forgiveness. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. Please, please forgive me. Please forgive life for letting this happen to you. This was not supposed to happen. 
And so it's not about, you know, forgiving and forgetting are, are two different things. It's not that it's not that you're uh, you're necessarily um, uh, but but blessing your your abuser. But what you are doing is you're releasing your identification. So, you know, when you talk about like curses, for instance, which is, uh, you know, something that gets bandied about in, in shamanic work or in energy work, a curse is just uh, a negative influence coming at you that then you are expected to hold on to. And the curse is that you're still holding it. And so it's about releasing it. It's about and, and the release comes by saying that while this negative thing came at me, uh, I, I am not holding it. It is not part of my identity. It's just this thing that it's just what happened. It's been so fascinating to talk with you and learn about Huna and Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono. Very <laughs> I'll good. Get it. You're getting there. <laughs> I'll get it eventually. I'm, I've really enjoyed reading the book, The Shaman's Minds. And I'd love for you to share how people can get in touch with you if they'd like to work with you or find out more about what you're doing. Yeah, very easy. So my website is www.jonathanhammond.com. That's all just uh, one word together, jonathanhammond.com. And I've got classes on there and I, uh, I see people uh, for uh, private work um, all virtually now uh, because of what's going on in the world. Uh, and you can find my book on Amazon or wherever, wherever books are sold, The Shaman's Mind, Huna Wisdom to Change Your Life. Amazing. Well, I urge people to pick this up and just kind of delve into the world of Huna and learn something, you know, and find out that magic does exist out there. And we all can start thinking a little bit more like a shaman. And we definitely need it. And we definitely need what you're doing out there in the world, Jonathan. And, you know, when things get back to normal <laughs> and we'll be able to see people, you know, face to face without masks. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person sometime and, you know, maybe I could come to one of your retreats. That would be amazing. Uh, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love that. Absolutely. <laughs> maybe in Hawaii, in Maui. That, would that be sounds better. good. That sounds good. And, and just to say, you, you know, because we can't go outside, everyone who's listening, use this time, use this time to fortify yourself, to address those things in your life that need addressing. Because when the dust settles and we can go outside again, it is about how we serve the collective, how we show up, how we help others heal. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. JonathanHammond.com. The book is The Shaman's Mind. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.